0: the dine one six a food podcast about sacramento where we talk to anyone working in the food industry in and around our city our goal is to take you behind the scenes and introduce you to the people who are making your favorite dining experiences happen i'm your host max connor and i'm joined as always by my co-host neil little neil what's been going on man
1: not too much uh the semester has started for me as as i think some people have heard so i've been doing that a lot but Just hanging out, talking to a lot of chefs, and actually the chef we have on today, I have actually known, I was thinking about this for over a decade now. I met him in Old Sack many years ago. Uh, He's a constant regular at my bar, and I like to take care of him, so I'm very excited to introduce you guys to him.
0: Yeah, our guest today is Dennis Sidnor, who runs Renegade Dining here in Natomas, where I am, and Dennis has a really interesting background, a long story of working In just about every facet you can imagine in the restaurant industry and has a really deep connection to food from his childhood which i always really appreciate because that's what got me into food which reminds me i got to have my mom's my wife's had covid so i've been watching the kids all week and my mom wanted to bring us dinner one night so i was like that whenever my mom says you know can i bring you guys dinner and she's gonna make it it's like yes spaghetti please that's like my mom's recipe that i want if mom's gonna make it that I just can't make right that her spaghetti is like weird and unique. It's like a totally her own recipe and it's really delicious. So I got to have some good home cooking this week, which Dennis is all about.
1: Well, now we know one of your rapid fire questions for what we (laughs) want to ask you. Uh, I love spaghetti too. It's fantastic. Now I got to ask, I, I assume she didn't buy it at Safeway,
0: right? What's that? The spaghetti sauce? Yeah. Yes. I know you're an anti-safewayist over there. Yeah, no, this is not a like mom secret recipe, and it's actually just prego with a few ingredients thrown in. No, it's like from scratch all the way through. So, well, now
1: you just got me hungry all over again. So this is the way the,
0: this is the way these interviews always go.
1: So let's just jump right into this. Chef Dennis is with us. Enjoy.
0: So we always love to ask first. What role food played in your childhood growing up? What was your connection to food as a kid? Oh, man. Um,
2: so my father was a really good cook, and my mother was a good cook as well, and my grandfather and uncles and aunts. It was Food was just a part of what we did, the gatherings, birthdays, holidays, deaths, weddings, you know. And so... My father really liked to grill and he liked to make Parker House rolls. Mm. And so, around the holiday times, you know, the house would be filled with the smell of smoked meats and yeast, right? And butter. Crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And it was an excuse to stay up late. If my dad was in there cooking, you know, getting ready for Thanksgiving or whatever. If I was willing to help sift flour or, you know, brush butter over top of the rolls, I could hang with him as long as I could hang, you know? Mm. And so it was probably about like seven, eight years old that I was introduced to learning how to set up temperature zones in a grill, my father's way, you know? And probably around like 10, I decided I wanted to start cooking things for myself. My older sister didn't really care to cook, you know, and I'm the second oldest of six. And so it would be like, choose your own adventure when you go in the kitchen, but I wanted mom's greens. And so I saw the stuff that was in the fridge and I asked my mom, could she, you know, teach me how to make it? And, you know, over the phone, cause my parents were entrepreneurs. They had a printing business here in town for years. Mm. And so my mother taught me how to make a stock, the ham hocks or whatever. And then, you know, we grew up cleaning greens and, you know, black IPs and stuff. And, you know, I lived in South Sac, 29th and Florin off of uh, off of 29th and, on Gardendale, Beeston Avenue. And um, my mother and her friends would sometimes go into Elk Grove when it was just farm, right? And farmers would let them come and pick, you know, greens and stuff like that. So they would come home with bags of greens and we would learn how to clean them and stuff like that. I mean, there's a video from like, geez, like, 88 or something like that of us sitting around the table shucking peas and cleaning greens. Mm. Our friends even. You know, it was back when everybody would be outside playing, you know, and so it'd be like, hey, if you guys want us to come back out quicker or finish this football game, let's get in here and clean these greens. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Um, And then one of my early, early childhood memories was eating artichokes and dipping them in mayonnaise Mm -hmm. with my mom. I c I can't do heavy I can't do mayonnaise like that anymore. But I mean it's like this is like pre kindergarten yeah. stuff, man, you know? And then going to like kindergarten, first grade, my mother would make oatmeal chocolate chip cookies with like walnuts sometimes, right? And then put a piece of cheddar cheese. She's from Pennsylvania. And so my dad's from Ohio. I was born in Cleveland. Okay. Right? So it was like, cheese on the cookie? Sure, I'll try that, you know. And then Again, not even being old enough to see on the stove, and we're in Pennsylvania, my mother's sister, Beth Ann, was making uh, scallops and brown butter, like bay scallops and brown butter. And so, like, those scent memories stuck. I mean, to this day, I can smell all of it. Yeah, wow. Like, right now, I can smell and see and hear the sizzle and smell the (laughs) butter going in the pan and being like, whatever you're doing in there, I want half of it. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, food definitely, it's shaped. Um, And so, interestingly enough, um, I was asked to submit some recipes for a local magazine. Um, So in November, uh, myself and like five other chefs will be presenting the recipes that we kind of grew up with during Mm -hmm. the holidays, and so the ribs, the Parker House Rolls, And then my spice mix, I gave them all those recipes. Right on. So I had to make these rolls again, right? And it just takes me back, man. It's just like the scent and the smell and the bite is like being back in South Sac, you know? Yeah. Being back in the family kitchen.
0: Yeah. That's awesome.
1: So when did you know that food was going to be your future? Did you have a moment or was it a kind of gradual uh, over the time of growing up?
2: 17 years old in Cleveland, Ohio, and um, my parents, again, they were—they moved the business out there. So at 16, we moved out there. And one of their clients had a barbecue joint literally across the street from the high school. So they asked me to come and work for them. I did. And um, it was just the reaction that the kids at the school, right? It was like, oh, you can cook? And... You know, it was like a little bit of a bump of notorieties. It was cool. it was a new kid on campus, so it was even cooler, right? Girls start winking at me a little different, you know? Like, (laughs) I'm coming to get wings. (laughs) I'll be there, you know? (laughs) Uh, So, um, and then my brother worked there also. So he would work register. I would, you know, cook. Sometimes it would just be him and I there. So a friend of mine was like, hey, man, you ever thought about, like, waiting tables or anything like that? And so I was like, nah, I don't know anything about it. And literally transitioned from the back of the house to the front of the house. And and 10 years I spent in the front of the house, Mm. waiting tables, bartending, managing, serving, you know what I mean, busing tables, doing the whole thing. And it was then that I just fell in love with hospitality. Fast forward 2007, I decided I wanted to move back here to SAC, and... I no longer wanted to be in the front of the house, but I wanted to stay in the industry. So came here and applied to a bunch of places as a line cook and they're like, dude, you have like a general manager's resume. Like, why the hell would I hire you to come clean lettuce? Mm -hmm. You're not gonna do that for very long. So I went to culinary school just to prove that I was serious about, you know, being in the kitchen. So, I mean, going back, yeah, like, you know, I got bit in 96 and just stuck with it probably fell in love with the cooking side of it again like in 06 before I moved here. Yeah, um, still stuck in and love, you know,
1: Natalie. <laughs> <Madly. laughs> do you think being on in the front of the house has given you any advantages in the back of the house, or do you think they're just so completely different that there's not a lot of correlation?
2: I think every chef should spend two weeks, a month, hosting, busing tables. It makes it a lot harder to say no to mm. the subtleties of a request. I just want this like this or I just want this like that, you know, because when you're standing there at the table and someone's asking you, can I have this without salt? It doesn't bother you to say yes because it's possible, right? When it's possible, you, you do it. So I think it gave me a, a small advantage just in, again, transitioning – Hospitality—the the idea of being hospitable to someone that you don't see, right? Um, and understanding that that yes is not really going to kill you
0: to yeah. cook this without oil. You know, you'll figure it out, right? So, I think a little bit, for sure. What did you fall in love with? What, what did you love about hospitality in general?
2: Um, again, just for me, it's the same for others. Time and place, you know, memories. People eat and they drink in celebration and commiseration, you know, and so it becomes a memory, like a song, right? It just, food becomes a memory, that the experience becomes, and so I love that people would find joy either in remembering, oh, my, my mom used to love the pound cake from Marie Callender's, I don't even know if Marie Callender's make kind of pound cake, but Probably. you get my point, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, right. So we went to this place for every graduation, we went to Sullins, you know? And so to be a part of that experience for people, weddings and anniversaries and things like that and surprise engagements and stuff like that, you know, that was definitely... And then being in the front of the house and seeing the smiles, right? And and watching the tears, you know, it was like,
0: this is awesome. Mm. You know, this is dope. And so... Uh, that's right. I love that. I mean, that's why we do this, right? It's because we wanted to create... We both love food and love restaurants and wanted to create even more of that connection from the the guests to the people behind the scenes because it's, it's beautiful. I mean, I – and you can hear it from you here talking about your childhood and the smells. Like I remember going to – I was like eight years old going to this French restaurant in my hometown and having escargot and duck all orange, right? And mm-hmm. like falling in love with duck at eight years mm-hmm. old and just like – I can remember what that place looks like, eating it. You know, mm-hmm. it just – it uh, and then that's where I, that's where I wanted to go for my birthday, you mm-hmm. know, every year.
1: Yeah, tell us more about your French Laundry experience. At eight, years <laughs> eight years old, right? Exactly. I, that I did was, not that grow was still up craft mac and cheese and, and, and tomato I soup. I did for not me. grow
0: up that bougie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I was eating top ramen and hot dogs at eight years old, and I was like, "Hey, I got to learn how to make something else."
0: Like my dad grew up, you know, in a post depression household, and it was like, mm-hmm. I never had a casserole growing up. He only bought good steak. So it was lucky. Mm -hmm. I mean, I grew up in a household where my dad had sort of made it from where he was. And then he was like, food was the thing, right? Right. He, Neil and I have had fights about this because (laughs) when when we first met and he talked, I was like, I don't shop at Safeway because my dad refused to step foot in a Safeway. He only went to the Draggers, which was near where Mm. we lived. That was like the nicer market for, you know, just because he, he had that bit of like, I've made it. So why, you know. Why wouldn't I? That's yeah, like my uh, grandfather was kind of
2: like. That you know, it was just like certain things on my mom's side. You know, post depression or whatever as well. And so like, it's just things that he just was like, I'm just getting the best, and, and that was this
1: thing going to the Amish country to get cheese and mm. stuff like that. You know? yeah. So, yeah, I can dig it. <laughs> I feel like food is kind of the glue to everyone, and, and celebrations like you were talking about. Like all of us have memories and stories of our family, where food is the center icon, and mm-hmm. I think that's something that. I appreciate, no, no, I mean, all three of us appreciate and just how, how influential it is in people's lives and they just don't quite realize it. Like you said, everyone has a wedding. There's also a dinner and a cake. Everyone yeah. has a graduation where you go to dinner and there's yeah. something afterwards. And it's like being a part of those and like you can like accentuate those experiences so much more coming from the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So now you are doing catering, correct?
2: Yes and no. I'm doing that as well as operating a cafe.
1: Okay, cool.
2: So um, I operate Cafe Federico inside the Federico Beauty Institute. It's open to the public as well. But, you know, we service um, primarily the students at the school. But then I do get to do catering and things like that. So I don't really like catering, to be honest with you. I'm getting old. (laughs) I like people to come and sit down and eat where I am, you know, or drop it off. But I, I do like doing meaningful events such as the one that's coming up on this Friday with Heart's Landing Ranch. They're a nonprofit and they deal with folks with PTSD and victims of sex trafficking and all of that. It's equestrian, right? So like they get them around horses and mm-hmm. they use these different techniques and horse training to help these people in their recovery process. So I love doing things like that. Um, but in the cafe, we'll be starting a series of um like chef table events, actually eating in the kitchen. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to deck it all out, bring
0: them in close. We'd only be four people at a time.
1: You know, one of the things I love about Dennis is that he has worked in every facet of the restaurant. I really appreciate a chef who has been on the other side of the counter, like serving people and doing the things that I've always done. You know, I've never gone in the back, but him coming to the front. And he just sees how much food can influence and have such an impact on people when they're eating. Like, seeing that first bite of let's say spaghetti for example and just seeing the happiness that it brings people is just something that's such a joy and something that a lot of chefs don't get to see on a night-to-night basis so i really appreciate his understanding and belonging back there
0: Yeah, I mean, he was pretty strong by saying, you know, he thinks every chef should spend two weeks per month out in the front of the house. He really gets that your graduation dinner, you're going to remember graduating as much as you're going to remember the scallops you had that night or what you had at your wedding. It's such a sense memory that it grounds you and connects you to these big moments in life. And he really understands that as someone who's worked wholly in hospitality and all these different facets. So in Sacramento, you know, Dennis, after he went back to culinary school to really prove he wanted to work in the back of the house. He started working at the Grange where he really learned that kind of connection to local produce that makes Sacramento unique. He worked at 1022 for two and a half years. He worked at JB's Lounge a couple different times. He was over at Red Rabbit for a little bit, Rudy's Hideaway. And then he was also at the Golden One Center for a little while as well. So really has worked all over Sacramento in different spots.
1: And I think there's a common misconception that when you work with food, it's all the same. But pop-ups, catering, large-level events like the Golden One Center and restaurants, they're all just very different. And and the setup and breakdown and everything is just so different. So I wanted to ask Dennis, like, what was it like with each of those? And how can you compare and contrast them?
2: Mm, The differences. Pop-ups are like moving every day. You know, because you set up, you tear down, you're in and out of a vehicle, you know, your storage. And then, you know, the brick and mortar is it's steady. You know, it's consistent, not as exciting or as alluring as the pop-up scene, you know, because you are going to these different places and meeting these different people all the time. And then catering is uh, it's great money in catering, but it's like, I don't know, shipping food. You're right you know it's just like you know the quality just diminishes it depends on what you're doing I love doing barbecue catering because barbecue sits and you know it just gets better you know especially <laughs> if it's done right you know um, and then the similarities is just planning processing and making sure that you can deliver the best quality food to the guest in the moment that you can. What was interesting about our style of pop-up was uh, my former partner and I were both like fine dining background kind of thing. And so we were rolling out to pop-ups with like 12 item menus. (laughs) Right. Yeah. In the beginning. (laughs) It's like legit. We were out there with flat tops, fryers, burners, like legit kitchen type setup, man and like cranking out these you know extravagant menus shaving truffles at tables and stuff and they're like what are you guys doing and like we don't know (laughs) we're having fun we're cooking food and that's what we're doing you know and so the pop-up thing was was great man it was fun to do it you know but it was it was never like my long-term goal i would like to do like festivals Mm. because those are great (laughs) You know like foodie land and aftershock and even like this uh, country festival is coming like up golden, golden sky, golden sky yeah, or something it is, yeah. yeah it's going to be like the 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 country version of aftershock essentially oh here. boy oh <laughs> boy <laughs> <laughs> but again it's just like you know um if you can find simplicity in your offering and you know quantify the
0: steps you know, you can, you can kill it in a weekend, man. You can kill it. So how did you land in the Frederico Beauty Institute? I mean, that's a pretty random spot to decide to go out on your own and end up over there. I mean, it's in a—people don't know. It's in a business park in Natomas not around mm-hmm. other businesses at all. Like, you'd have to really look it up to find it or know anything about it. So how did you land um, there? Chef Buddy had the space
2: and was using it primarily to do his catering stuff out of— but didn't have a desire to operate it, you know, during the four or five days a week that the school is open. Five days that the school is open, and we were kind of like it was getting hot outside, and so it just kind of made sense to go into an air-conditioned space. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it just offered the consistency, not having to load in and load out, you know, day after day, and so it just kind of just fell in our lap, and then um, I just continued to do it because it's it's kind of cool. Yeah. I don't work for the Federicos, you know. I lease the space from them, and so I get to work with them, and it's cool to keep building and offering something that the students will like. That's my primary thing: is like make something the students will like, and then I get to have my creative chefy stuff when I start the private
0: dinners. Yeah, you know, yeah. fun. What do the students like? What are you making? If I roll in there, dude, for lunch, they love I will, French cause... fries and macaroni and cheese. There you go. So
2: I just started dialing into the macaroni and cheese, right? Because French fries, they are what they are. Sure. You know, but even some other stuff. There's another chef that has come on to uh, offer assistance, Chef Ocean Lopez. And um, she introduced a Jap Che to the students. And they absolutely love it. It's It's a vegan version of the dish. And uh, they love it. But they love salmon like Grilled salmon, smoked salmon over macaroni and cheese, buffalo chicken over macaroni and cheese. Like, dude, I mean, then simplicity, you know, salads and turkey club sandwiches, you know. That's, mm-hmm. that's like heavy, heavy rotation. And Red Bull. <laughs> Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> they love Red Bull. Yeah. Oh,
1: man. Right now, what what is your favorite cuisine to cook?
2: My favorite? Live fire. Live fire. Yeah, I, mean, I love smoking things. I love using, incorporating wood. Um, I got a bunch of Himley Cider Pearwood. I'd never worked with Pearwood before until just like maybe about eight months ago. started working with pear wood consistently. But live fire cooking, man, it's absolutely what I love to do. So then, but having learned French and Italian and Mexican and stuff like that It's just incorporating those techniques That I learned But then doing it on the smoker mm. You know I think one of the n- things I really want to do I want to do like duck confit Like sm- smoke duck confit and make riettes out of it mm. Right? Yeah, yeah, that works Why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why not, right? Um, making fresh pastas And making rolls and stuff like that So, I mean, it's kind of hard to There's not a type of cuisine that I prefer one over the other, really. More That's the just, blend of. It's the blend of,
0: right. What does it mean to you to be a chef back in Sacramento? You know, what do you like about being a chef here in particular? Uh, the access to ingredients, the food scene here, just growing.
2: And the the way that the, I think when, when everyone's together, it's, it's just watching, you know, chefs just drop Every, every everyone's a chef. Everyone's just throwing hands <laughs> at events, you know, and, and we're helping each other out. It's like, it's all about the city. And so I, I love that this community just rallies around each other. You know, there's always going to be haters. But I think within the core group of chefs that are really pushing a hard line in this city, like they really do rally around each other. And so it's great to see and feel the support. Bumping into Neil at Camden, like the the conversations that we were having with the the couple of chefs that were there were freaking amazing. Mm. You know the support and love that they were showing me, you know, and and with, and showing each other and ke- playing catch up. That's what I love about being a chef here in this city. Seriously.
0: Yeah, I mean that's what we found since starting this podcast is the the camaraderie in the city amongst. Otherwise, would be competitors is is a you said it's all about the city. I think there's a seems to be a realization that like hey you know as the saying goes a rising tide lifts all boats really? right like the more anyone can put Sacramento on the map the more other people are gonna find everybody else and it's mm-hmm. and every and I think COVID too like post COVID it's just like man if you're still out there doing it and you survive that like.
1: We saw so many of our own kind in restaurants fail that it was like, we need each other to keep each other afloat. We can't be individuals anymore. We can't be competing on sales every night and worrying about Mm -hmm. who's selling what. It's like, no, what are you doing? That's awesome. Keep doing Mm -hmm. it. Like the more of you there are, the more of us there can be. Yeah. A thousand percent. Um, Like I mean, that's one thing I, I love about Camden is like, the amount of chefs that come there just to chat and hang out. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not about, oh, God, I'm spending money here. It's like, no, let's go chat and hang out and have a good time and, like, Mm -hmm. relate. What are you doing? What am I doing? Putting together events like the West End Dinner. Like, it's really Mm -hmm. cool to see the camaraderie coming out of this.
2: Yeah, Mm
1: -hmm. I agree. So you were part of the West End Dinner at the Farm to Fork Festival. Tell us about how that event went and what it meant to you to be a part of it.
2: That event was dope. You know, to see the work that uh, the Last Supper Society put into uh, making sure the chefs had information was dope. And, and working with Visit SAC and, you know, shout out to Visit SAC. Annie Mosley and Mike Testa and folks over there, they're really knocking the doors down right now with, you know, getting a majority of the local folks involved. But it was dope to be a part of that event to see what Sacramento was Mm -hmm. in that space to see what the African-American restaurants that were there, the Japanese restaurants, Chinese restaurants, not just the restaurants, but the communities that were thriving there. Sad to say that they were redlined out and then that practice kind of went national after Sacramento (laughs) kind of led the way on that, right? Kind of sad to be, to have that, but awesome to highlight what was with what is. You know and the chefs that are now, you know, and just kind of looking back, and I, you know, again, huge shout out to the Last Supper Society, uh, Byron and Ryan and, and Tony and those guys for doing the research, doing the hard work, and, and seeing that thing come. It was dope, man. It was like jazz, and it was just like, you know, it was just it was it was great, truly an honor to be a part of that group
0: to do that. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Like you said, I, I think good for the city and for for those guys to really push it and make it happen. During a time farm to fork that's all about shining the best possible light on the city and for them to say, hey, let's look at this ugly history of the city and shine a bright light on it and then as a result shine a light on all these other chefs and what they're doing today. Look at at what happened out
2: of it. You know, you got Stockton Boulevard, Oak Park, you know, Franklin Boulevard. You got all these different neighborhoods that have sprung up that, you know, they have the some of the most authentic flavors, right? Right. In in these nondescript locations, right? And again they were on capital. Yeah. Right there. So, you know, at some point you do gotta pay homage to what was, right? So good on them for, you know, recognizing that as an amazing thing to highlight, you know. Uh seriously. Yeah. And Sonia Bradley too. Um Sonia Bradley is uh she's an amazing person. She's, you know, equity inclusion with Visit SAC and you know just really putting her ear to the ground as well Um, so again kudos to that entire Visit SAC group
1: You know that West End dinner sounded really awesome and I really hope that it becomes like a yearly part of the Farm to Fork festival that we have here in Sacramento
0: Yeah, it seemed like a really great event and hopefully a way for them to continue to highlight a diverse group of chefs every year in Sacramento. Hopefully it's something they can continue to do. And so leading you into the last part of this interview, you know, we had a really fun conversation with Dennis about an opportunity. He had to be a part of reality television, which Dennis, I got to say, I mean, you've heard this much of this interview for it. He was kind of perfect for it. His voice is perfect. His attitude is perfect. He was on the show Cutthroat Kitchen. And there's a whole long backstory we won't get into as far as the show not premiering for a long time, but it is something you can now finally see on Discovery Plus. You can get a free trial for that for seven days and check out his episode. He bets on himself. I'm not going to give too much of it away. So, the conceit of the show is they give you these impossible challenges, and you start with a pile of money, like 50 grand at the beginning, and then they say, like, how much money to not have to do all your prep on a moving station that's being pushed around all the time or to do all your prep blindfolded or to lose your entire basket of ingredients and have to go get new ones right away. So there's all these different things and Dennis bet on himself in this episode in a way that was never should have worked and he made it work and he bet on himself as he talks about and it's a really great story so we're going to bring you that part of the interview as well of Dennis's experience on Cuprow Kitchen.
2: At the time I was working bars and barbecue joints in Cleveland and then landed a gig at uh, the Ritz-Carlton and that's where I met this guy so fast forward like Five years later or whatever and he sends me a message like hey you know a producer for Food Network reached out to me and asked if I knew other people I see what you're doing out there at JB's. I think you'd be a good fit to be on the show send over your information and I was like eh nah (laughs) and so sitting at the bar it was a slow day so I'm just sitting there and the bartender that was there and a friend and they were like dude if you don't send in your information? Like, why would you not? And I was like, why go on TV? I mean, like, who the hell am I? You know, like, you know, I was like, nah, I'm just doing this little small thing over here, right? And, you know, with a little more prodding, I sent it in and then I got a response like right back. Like 20, 30 minutes later, email fired back. Like, hey, Rob spoke really highly of you. Would Do you have time for a phone call? So like, yeah, I was set up for the next day. Supposed to be at like 11 a.m., so it's like 11:30, and I was like, "Do I reach out, you know, or do I just play it cool, like I don't care anymore? <laughs> like I still don't. Now I'm all excited, right? You know what I mean, like um, I still I had never seen the show, and then the phone rang, and then she and I had like a like 30, 40 minute conversation, and I mean, I was talking to her like I had known her for years. And I'm using all the colorful kitchen language and <laughs> just being Dennis, man, you know. <laughs> And at the time, I was a, I was a hothead, you know. Then, uh, thank God I matured and slowed down a little bit. I mean, still got a little edge, but you know, I was a spit and vinegar chef, mm. you know, for a long time. And so, I was using the language and she was like, can we do a Skype tomorrow? And I was like, sure. So then, get on the call, and I dropped the colorful language. This is being recorded, I know it's gonna go to the producers and stuff. In the middle of it, she goes, dude, this isn't working. She's like, where's the guy I was talking to yesterday? And the owner of the bar, uh, JB's, was in the office milling about. And she's like, I need that language. And I look over at him, and he just kind of shrugged <laughs> his shoulders. And I was like, well, fuck it. Here we go. <laughs> and legit, um, we did it. And then at the end of it, she's like, I'm taking this unedited to the producers right now. And man, like the next day, two days later, they were like, yep, here's your booking and all that stuff and come down to LA and shoot. But it was great, it was great. Um, It was a great experience for sure. Uh, What it taught me was a couple of things. One was to bet on myself. Mm. It's something that I share with people often is whatever your passion is, man, bet on you. Um, If you're willing to work, hard and you're willing to do what it takes to see your passion you know pay your bills and make you a little money then do that and even if it takes a while to get there just do it you know whatever it is if it's making guitars and standing on the corner of sunrise boulevard because that's what your passion causes you to do do that someone may see you and invite you over to play in a set or whatever right but and then just be patient you know like if you have an accomplishment there's something that you've done you don't gotta live on that right know that you did something if the world never sees it and that's what it was like for five years like you know part of the world saw it but no right. one in my orbit no <laughs> one in my world saw
0: it so it it wasn't on social media it didn't exist right yeah, so right on what a great lesson I mean that it makes me so happy to hear because when I watched it and you know I was doing some research on you and I watched the episode and I watched sort of the the hit you did when you were cooking with your partner, when mm-hmm. it came out that they did on ABC 10 or one of the local mm-hmm. stations, and I just remember thinking like, and that sucks that you like did something you were probably thinking like, all right, this might give me a boost in the industry or help out in some way, and then you just don't know where it is and it never comes out, and then as it and you're asking God like, what you know what's going on here, and then suddenly it comes out at the most opportune time for yourself and your new business, like. Funny how how that happens when you're working hard, doing the right things, right? It was a gift, man. Seriously, it was a gift because again, um,
2: at any other point that it would have released, I would have been an employee of someone else and they would have ultimately reaped the benefits of having someone. And so that would have been, again, it would have been a great boost Mm -hmm. for my career as an employee, but you know, not even understanding what it would have taken to be an entrepreneur at that time. and So then getting into entrepreneurship, it was a huge boost doing pop-ups when that was all that was available really because restaurants were to-go, you know, restaurants were doing a lot of to-go stuff. And so then the breweries and wineries, they weren't able to open because they weren't essential businesses. So having a food vendor out, so it was kind of cool. And and it it did, it did. It gave us a little boost. You know, people were coming by. I saw it, you know, whatever. (laughs) And, you know, that kind of thing. So it, it definitely helped to give us something to talk about, you know, to make us relevant in the moment, even more so than just having good food. You know. It was just a little
0: little extra octane yeah. you know, in the tank. So were funny on it too. You had me laughing out loud a couple of times when I watched it. Neil hasn't gotten a chance to see I it. I haven't gotten yeah. a chance. I will though. It's, it's funny, it you because know, again, I hadn't seen it for five years, so I forgot a lot of the oh. stuff that I had said. So when I watched it, I was like, "Those were some good one-liners. <laughs>
1: like, I gotta write those Go down."
0: Like Gordon Ramsay and Suge Knight's body. Yeah, I think they opened the show with you saying yeah. that. <laughs> <I'm>
2: like, was <laughs> it? Yeah, Gordon Ramsay and Suge Knight's body. Add that up. It's funny. it's funny because uh so just did the West End dinner and one of the chefs that was pictured in the um the, the the photo, like the final photo, we were all sitting around and and um, you know, Chef Santana was like, Hey come, let's take a let's take all take a picture and so Someone, someone asked uh, one of the other chefs, like, who's the dude that looks like Shaq Knight that just got out of jail? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not that tall, you know no, what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, I'm not even six feet. I'm 5'11", you know what I mean? And I I used to be a little heavier, but I've slimmed down a little bit. But I think it's just the beard and the bald head that, sure. you know what I mean, like that gives away. I knew I had to lose weight when people were calling me Rick Ross. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like all right I gotta put the soda and beer down for a little bit
1: <laughs> oh, man. Should so go to the fun part yeah let's do it all right. so uh you you explain this better than I do you're better at it
0: <laughs> well, we, we like to ask a few rapid fire food related questions to kind of end uh, end the show so the first one is what's your favorite cheap guilty pleasure Game of Thrones it's not even
2: food related, but oh, okay. <laughs> watching Game <of> Thrones. <laughs> uh, like, Cheap guilty pleasure. Jeez, man. Um Chicken nuggets and McDonald's.
0: Oh yeah, I like. I had those what's last your, night. What's your dipping sauce? Ketchup. Ketchup. Oh. I don't even go for the sauces.
1: <laughs> I go for the lovely uh, McDonald's Agrodolce. A little sweet and sour sauce. I was gonna say I'm a <laughs> sweet and sour
2: guy. I yeah. used to like the honey mustard. Oh, you' yeah. know if they change the recipe or something? I don't know, maybe I just haven't had it forever, but yeah, just just catch up. Nice.
1: What's your favorite dish to cook at home?
2: Grilled hot dogs.
1: Grilled. What kind of hot dogs?
2: All beef. All beef and even like Costco.
0: Co- yeah, Costco's all beef dogs are. I
1: good.
0: still miss Real the Polish good. dog. Don't even get me started. Yeah, <laughs> I'm angry you can't get it at the food court. And it's like yeah. 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 What's your favorite snack food? Um chips. Yeah, you got a favorite chip or chip line? Uh, Like pop chips
2: recently, Mm. Um, sour cream and onion, but just chips, man. Yeah, I used to have them at the side of the bed, and I was almost 300 pounds. So now they (laughs) stay in the pantry away from me. (laughs) But yeah.
1: Make you get up to go get them.
2: Yeah, like chips and freaking salami and provolone Mm. cheese and a Coke.
1: Yeah, those are all good. I think I've done all of those together at the same time as well. <laughs> one o'clock in the morning. Yep. Right. Snack. <laughs> Catching the final sports center. Uh, what's one restaurant in town that you like to go to on, like, like say, like a Monday Tuesday night? Something mm. small. Get a get a good bite to eat that people could go to. Golden Bear. Love Golden Bear. Golden Bear. They have sneaky one of the best kitchens in town. Yeah. Granted, it's the size of a shoebox, yeah. but yeah, it's
0: right a on. fun
1: old school Sacramento spot.
0: Yeah. What's the dish from your childhood you'd like to go back in time and eat? My
2: mother's smothered chicken. Anytime. She lives in Atlanta now. And so I'd be like, Mom, I'm coming to town. (laughs) Can you please? (laughs) Because I'm a chef. I can't recreate it. Yeah. She's even told me how. And I think a part of it is I don't want to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because then then she'll be like, just make it yourself. (laughs) Right. But yeah, my mother's smothered fried chicken. It's
0: next level good every time. Mom, have, mom, have mom, make it again, please. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to I mean, every, I mean, I've talked to chefs who have tried to recreate the childhood thing, and, and they're just like, I remember talking to Brad, talking to Chef Checky, and he was like, he made his grandfather's creamy potato soup, and he was like, I'm a chef, I know this should be better, I don't know what he put in there, I know what I'm making is better, and then I eat it, and I was like, this is, not. Yeah, it's
1: not.
2: Not. No, I can. I could, dude. I could make a. I could make the stock. I could buy the beef knuckles, and I could make the best beef gravy in the world that I think, right? And I could do this with the chicken, and do that, and do all of this stuff. And then when I asked her, she's like, "Oh, I just did this, this and this." And I'm like, "What? <laughs> 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 what?
0: Keep doing it. Uh, that's, that's amazing. It. Mm-hmm. Right on. Well, Dennis Idnorr, thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you. Thank you." Guys. Seriously. That was fantastic. Yeah, Yeah. man. That's a good time. Well, you know, Neil, we're into about 25 interviews or so at this point, and it's funny all the recurring themes in here from A, just the simple fact that you seemingly you can sit down and interview almost anyone and they're gonna have an interesting story. That's certainly the case with Dennis going from his connection to food as a kid to then working a lot in the front of the house to back a house to now, you know, running a sm- really small kitchen at a beauty institute and trying to put on private chef dinners, which I think can be really fun events for people who, who like this show, frankly, who, who like to get the behind the scenes. And that's exactly what he wants to give you in the kitchen is give you a behind the scenes inside the kitchen. And, you know, to the camaraderie that we have here in Sacramento, that COVID specifically has built this just very special community of people who really realize the more we work together and network together and push together, the better the restaurant scene is going to be for everyone.
1: I think you brought up a good point there with the behind the scenes on the chef's dinner. And what I enjoy about our podcast is we're giving you the behind the scenes of the actual chef. It's actually been kind of funny for me. I've gotten to bring a couple of my friends on here and each time they've come on, they've blown my mind with things. I just never knew about them. And I love hearing these stories about how they got into cooking and their their development and their process through everything is just fascinating to hear.
0: Yeah, and I love hearing these really talented chefs share what their favorite guilty pleasures are. That always astounds me, like, you know, the garbage we all eat, regardless of how much we know or love food. We still all eat some trash food.
1: Oh, uh, We are still getting out at 11 o'clock at night and have nothing else to eat but junk food and fast food.
0: <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, if you like this episode, please subscribe or like wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us on every podcasting platform as well as YouTube. And also, if you like this episode, please, please, please share it with somebody else. The easiest way to do that is just send someone our website, dine16.com. The first episode is always right there at the top. Anyone who knows anything about podcasts or nothing about podcasts can just play it right there from their phone or computer. They don't even have to have the podcast app. You can follow us on Instagram to sort of see what we're up to, get updates on new episodes. That handle is at Dine16. And you can email Neil or myself. That link is in the show notes. And if you want to see Dennis on Cutthroat Kitchen, I'll drop a link to Discovery Plus in there. I'll try to find a link specifically to the episode, but uh, I strongly encourage you to watch it. Dennis is hilarious on the episode. And the final result, will kind of blow you away it's it's uh it's really fun and it's certainly a feather in the cap for dennis and for sacramento the way it all goes down also for updates and information on those chef's dinners that dennis is hoping to put together make sure you follow renegade dining on instagram we'll have that link in the show notes as well our opening and closing theme music are by my brother-in-law mark owens the dine one six is a production of the hear me now studio here in sacramento we'll be back in a couple weeks with a special guest the longtime sous chef of Sacramento's first Michelin-starred restaurant, The Kitchen, coming on in two weeks. You'll get to hear that episode. So keep an eye out in your podcast feed for that episode. And until then, as always, eat something you love with someone you love.